Hi, I'm Sylvia Sue. Welcome to More Than a Cake Store, a podcast where we'll explore stories of women in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales who have faithfully responded with the gifts that God has given them, no matter how big or small, to the call of the gospel. And whether that skill is baking or banking, God receives it, hones it, and uses it for his glory. Our hope is that you'll be awed by God's graciousness and encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given and use them in service of him. Because after all, even a cake store in service of the king is more than a cake store. Thanks for joining us for this episode of More Than a Cake Store. Today we're going to continue looking at the history of women serving in Justice and Mercy Ministries in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales. We're going to hear from Nicole Mannix about the early work of Deaconesses in the early 1900s in New South Wales. It's an inspiring story of women hearing the call of the Gospel and moving into impoverished parts of Sydney to bring the love of Jesus and hope of the Gospel to those in need. So welcome to More Than a Cake Store, Nicole. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I um, am at Penrith Presbyterian. My husband's a minister here. We've been here just, just over 10 years. Um, and we have two sons and a foster daughter as well. So two 13-year-olds and an 11-year-old. Wow. That's awesome. Nicole, you're a deaconess uh, in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales. Yep. Um, so you, um, up until recently, have been an Associate Dean of Women at Christ College. Um, yes. And so you have a little bit of knowledge and history of the role of deaconesses in our church, but also the ministry that's happening by women today. Um, so the first iteration of formal women's ministry actually had an overseas focus. Through the Presbyterian Women's Missionary Union, the PWMU, Funds were raised to support ministry overseas. Uh, what did that look like? So the PWMU, or technically it was PWMA at the time, okay. association. So they financed, they recruited, and they employed the missionaries. And they made a lot of use of single women at that time. Um, they had worked particularly in Korea, Vanuatu, and India. And actually in India is a really good example of uh, the first 20 years of, or more than 20 years of Presbyterian mission work in India. Uh, was, was exclusively women. Wow. Um, yeah, so they were mostly working in education and healthcare um, and then running little Sunday schools and churches. Nicole, you were commissioned as a deaconess in 2007, a part of a long legacy of deaconesses in New South Wales. But deaconess ministry actually began as a ministry of the Presbyterian Women's Missionary Association. Um, can you tell us how that started? Sure. So, yeah, from... 1905, it was a joint effort between PWMA and the Home Missions Committee. They started employing women as deaconesses. And it was just kind of a way of formalising a lot of the work that they had already been doing. So it wasn't actually the, the office of deaconess was officially created by the PCA later in 1948. But yeah, um, yeah from 1905, there were deaconesses employed in ministry. Yeah. And Eva Holland was the first deaconess commissioned to serve in New South Wales. What did she do? Um, I think it was yeah, a really interesting way of ministry. She was involved in something called the settlement scheme. So basically these women would, would settle into a disadvantaged area, often uh, around Woolloomooloo and King's Cross. Um, that's where Eva Holland was. And just work in the community around them. And super busy. Like she did home visitations. 
distributed food parcels, clothing parcels, uh, wrote letters for people, helped people with job applications, helped grocery shopping. I think four nights a week she had entertainment for kids in her house. And oh. she also ran a weekly women's club. So, you know, she certainly wasn't bored. <laughs> yeah, and there were other women as well, other deaconesses later on. They, they did work in hostels, in hospitals, aged care, um, helped at the children's court as well, just providing support for people there. So a lot of it was just looking at the needs around them in their neighbourhood and helping people responding to that. Meeting those needs. Yeah. In researching for this podcast, I was so excited to come across an article about Eva Holland, which I shared with you, because Tilly Devine, who I know from Underbelly, because I used to love watching that (laughs) show, the queen of the Sydney underworld, Tilly Devine, who was a madam in King's Cross, who owned the area, she uh, walked into the Palmer Street Church while Eva Holland was conducting a kids club ministry and she liked that it was a safe place for kids and so she gave them 25 pounds which was a considerable amount in the middle of the depression and supported them to take the kids on um, a picnic to the central park and then I love this quote in the article it says she said to her she likes the work they're doing and I sent out a message to the boys to look after you so no trouble came to them I just think um, yeah basically if if she hadn't approved it couldn't have happened because she really did own the cross but thankfully she approved um, yeah. so yeah it's a bit of a weird alliance but it worked and I guess it goes to show the significance of that ministry and how impacting it was in the middle of the profession yeah that it was actually doing such good work that even Tilly Devine couldn't ignore it and couldn't stop it she wanted to see it continue yeah the ministry of the deaconesses shifted really significantly through the war years. How did it change? Yeah, so I, the issue with the war years is kind of an obvious one that there were a, a bit of a shortage of men. Um, mm. So a lot of ministers were conscripted um, and went off to the war. So there, there was a massive shortage of, of male ministers. And yeah. so a lot of the deaconesses started taking on that role, so leading services, uh, even preaching, yeah, because there was kind of no one else to do it. And that was in both World War One and Two. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. definitely a lot in World War One. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think in World War Two as well. And then in 1948, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Deaconesses became an actual order in the code, so by the Presbyterian Church of Australia. And then another decade or so later, a training college was established to train up Deaconesses for their work. Uh, what do we know about the college? Yeah, so the college was named after Deaconess Mildred Parker, started in the early 60s. So Mildred Parker had been training Deaconesses. So she was Deaconess herself and then she was training Deaconesses from about 1940 up until her death in 54, I think. So they named the training college after her because that's a lot of the work that she'd been doing. And actually, even after it had closed down and when I was at was PTC then, Christ College, there was still a room called yes. the Deaconess Mildred Parker Room. So, yeah, she continued to have a little bit of a legacy there. So the, the focus of Deaconess's work was a combination of evangelism and welfare. Yeah. Uh, so, so they taught in women's clubs, taught scripture lessons, Sunday school. They established Sunday schools in some of the migrant camps. And they also were just sent all over the state to help with disaster relief. So, you know, if yeah. it was today, they'd be up in Lismore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the college continued for um, nearly 20 years. And then the college itself was closed down and the training of deaconesses was handed over to the Theological Education Committee and their welfare to ministry and mission. Um, we've, been, we've seen a really big shift in the way that ministry happens since Union, away from ordination and towards specific focus on every member ministry. And I think with that, we've also seen a decline in the role of commissioned deaconesses have we seen a decline in women serving in the church and through justice and mercy ministries i don't think so i think in a formal sense yeah there may not be so many official deaconesses 
Yeah. Um, but I think there are a lot of women in their local churches doing things even on yeah. a voluntary basis. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, possibly it's not so much the shift from every member ministry because in a sense that should that should encourage women's ministry. But I think if there has been a positive emphasis on word ministry, but I think that's maybe led the pendulum to swing a little bit too far. Yeah. So because mercy ministry often can become only that, like it is quite challenging to integrate it with word ministry. So sometimes it does become just mercy without a word component. And I think also because as churches move toward liberalism, they often emphasize that welfare ministry because really what else did they have to offer? They're not offering the gospel. And so I think evangelicals then became a little bit suspicious of mercy ministry. It was kind of seen as a bit of a liberal thing, Mm. something that took the emphasis away from the word of God. And so we kind of balk out a little bit yeah I've read that in the initial deaconess work there was a complaint brought that the work that they were doing was just social service and not gospel ministry the convener of the committee says that the work of the gospel has always been conspicuous in the work that the deaconesses are doing they were holding that tension really well of the social work with the gospel or the justice and mercy ministry which is modeling what Christ has done for us as they take that out to other people, bringing practical assistance as well as the hope of the gospel. But yeah, like it's really hard to keep holding that tension. And I think that sometimes you've got to start doing the hard work of bringing the love of Jesus to the people who everybody else walks past. And that's how we begin sharing the gospel with them uh, through what we're doing. And that should always be the stepping stone. That shouldn't never be where it ends, but should be the way that we then begin to engage with the gospel. Yeah, and I think the the deaconesses in that period were were doing that well. Like there was yeah. yes, they were doing a lot of mercy ministry, welfare type stuff, but they were also doing a lot of teaching. Um, you know, setting up Sunday schools, women's clubs, um, running Bible studies. Um, so it was certainly yeah, I think conspicuous is a good word that it was yeah. it was very obviously a ministry of the church. Yeah, um, and had a teaching a big teaching component. Yeah, and I and I what you were saying about the pendulum swinging, I think with our DKMS training now, it is all theological training, which is good and important and right. We need to be doing theological training. Um, but yeah, we are missing that um, justice and mercy element, I guess. I don't know how you teach that at a college though. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, but, and I think, you know, it's probably just not probably, it is just as important for men as women to learn that, men going into ministry. Um, but yeah, how, how do you how do you teach someone to be compassionate? <laughs> well, as you look back on the rich history of deaconesses in the present church, what are you thankful for? Uh, I'm thankful for just a general recognition of women's ministry that it was it was seen as valuable and mm. worth investing in and significant, and that's really great. I'm also I am thankful for the emphasis on training um, and that focus. Yeah, as much yeah. as we kind of criticised it a minute ago, that focus on theology is actually a really good thing that, you know, that, that we aren't going, well, we'll train the men to teach the word and then we'll train the women to yes. crochet tea towels. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> that, you know, there is an emphasis that your ministry is just as important and so you need to be properly equipped for it. Yeah. Um, you need to be properly equipped to handle the word of God because that's what we want you to do. Yeah, I'm really unthankful that that emphasis on training, again, is kind of evidence of, of the importance placed. Yeah. on women's ministry and I think the settlement scheme was just a really good model of recognizing the needs in your community around you and, mm. and seeking to meet that and building relationships with your neighbors which would lead to to gospel opportunities I mean there's certainly people are more likely to listen to you if they know you and trust you yeah um, yeah and, and we've seen that in our own church that you know when we 
when we serve people and meet their physical needs, that has led to opportunities to share the gospel with them yeah. because they think, you know, these are people that actually care about me. I'm really thankful that the women, um, particularly with the settlement ministries, they heard the call of the gospel and they, they, they got up and they went. They didn't stay in their comfortable spaces. They went out to places that needed that. Yeah, and specific, particularly at that time, like as you talk about Tilly Divine, you know, the, the cross wasn't the nicest place to live at that time. No. Um, yeah. But they were willing to, to put themselves into that situation. Having done a lot of mission placements with college in regional churches, you go, what these churches need is Christians who are school teachers and doctors and, you know, plumbers to move into these communities and, mm-hmm. and, and live that slower lifestyle and sacrifice the connections and the networks they've developed and serve God's kingdom in these places that really need more Christians there serving in the community. And I think the deaconesses from, from the early 1900s give us that really beautiful model. Yeah. 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 I remember talking to someone and they're saying, challenging people to, you know, usually we, we find a job and then we find a house close by to our job and then we find mm-hmm. a church close to our house. Yeah. And they were challenging people to say, well, go the other way, like find a church that needs people, move there, find a job locally. Yeah. Um, yeah, which obviously isn't always that straightforward, but um, I have seen it done, you know, a couple who just went, there's a regional church that needs more people, we're going to move there and we'll just build our life there Amazing. because we want to serve that church. And you can zoom into work now, so. Yeah, yeah, you can live anywhere. <laughs> That's right, what has lockdown taught us? I, I, I think I just want to acknowledge the other thing I'm thankful for in the rich history of Deaconesses is that in 1903, it was the New South Wales General Assembly that resolved to investigate into the question of providing further facilities for women to engage in the work of the church, particularly in regard to the institution and training of deaconesses. So that was actually a call from the Assembly to look at a way to do that complementary model really well of women working with men and of women engaging in the work of the church and women not only working but being commissioned and being trained up to serve. Um, I, that just really excites me that in the, you know, right at the turn of the century um, or of last century, because we're so old now, yeah. <laughs> but our, our assembly was committed to that. They were committed to seeing women serving in the church, engaged in the church and trained up. Yeah, that is really exciting. But yeah, there's that, as I said, that recognition that women's ministry is just as valid and important and worth investing in Mm. as we look forward into the next decades and beyond what are you hopeful for Uh, I'm hopeful that women will continue to train uh, for ministry Um, I'm really excited by ministry training for women course at Christ College that has just got bigger and bigger every year I teach a couple of subjects in it and every year I go to teach my subjects I'm like well there's too many people here (laughs) so yeah I'm really hopeful that that will will continue that women will continue to um, yeah see training as a positive thing, uh, whether yeah. that be, you know, full-time or just something part-time, but just, yeah, seeing the importance of their ministry and therefore the importance of being well-equipped for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful that we do have a bit less fear of mercy ministry, that the pendulum will, well, not swing the other way, but find the middle. Mm. Um, and, and particularly that we can really, just people can think really carefully about um, how to do mercy ministry in a gospel-focused way. Yeah. Because in one sense, it's very easy to do mercy ministry. You just, you know, give people stuff and they like you and it's lovely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to, to really carefully integrate mercy ministry and gospel ministry, I think, is really 
important and does involve a little bit more hard work. Yeah. Um, but I'm really hopeful that that's something that people will see is worth putting the effort into yeah. thinking about. And, and I think the um, beautiful thing about not swinging the pendulum but going, the, going down the middle is that it's what God's called us to do. It's not just leaving the justice and mercy ministry to people, the PWA or to Jericho Road, but actually seeing that this is God's calling on his church and that we've all been given gifts to use in the community and resources to bless the community with. And that's what God's called us to do. It's it's all of that kind of fusing together of meeting people's physical needs, meeting their emotional needs and sharing the hope of the gospel that is the, the greatest cure. Yeah. And I think in Australia, I think it's easy for us to kind of put mercy ministry aside because we we do have a welfare system yeah run by the government and and it's I think it's easy for Christians to go well they can get the doll and it's fine yeah but there's so much more than just well there are so many people who are still falling through the crack and it's more as you said a minute ago it's not just meeting physical needs but emotional needs as well there are mm. people who are just lonely yeah um, isolated and yeah it can be as much about just you know having someone over for a meal can make a huge difference not just because they're hungry but because they're hungry for connection and yeah and and running a kids ministry like those early weaknesses which allows parents to have a bit of a break or to give the gospel to the children jesus says let the children come to me and even running those ministries i've heard people say oh they just drop off their kids because they want babysitting and i think well good sometimes parents need a break and the church can offer babysitting and we're not just offering babysitting we're babysitting with the gospel and the kids might take the gospel home and yeah i think children make wonderful little evangelists they're very good at telling their parents what they learned. Yeah, <laughs> and right. I think too, um, parents are willing to put up with as much God stuff as you will throw at them because you're looking after my kids and yeah. you're caring for my kids. And I think that opens up really good opportunities for uh, gospel yeah. conversations because they're much more inclined to, you know, if you met them in the pub and said, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus, they'd be like, not interested. But because you're caring for their kids and caring for their kids, they're a lot more open. And and you've, you're you caring for their kids not because you want to, like, do a bait and switch and, you know, <laughs> now we've got you. But it's, it's also because we care for the kids. And I think the parents see the genuine care for the kids. And yeah. uh, we've put our, our money where our mouth is or we put our actions you know, behind what we're saying. And so it goes a long way in building that relational credit mm. that's required in a society now where the church has lost a lot of our relational credit. That's yeah. actually a really helpful way to be able to advance the gospel. And I think like anything, it sounds a little bit cynical, but anything that gives the church kind of good press at the moment can yeah. only be helpful because not anything, things that are, things that are biblical <laughs> that give the church good press. Because yeah, there is a lot of negative images of the church and a lot of people saying, you know, the church doesn't do anything for society and don't contribute anything good but yeah if people can actually see that we're doing something that is good and useful and helpful it gives the church a much more positive image in people's mind yeah thank you so much for your time nicole um is it okay if i just pray and thank god for the work of deaconesses sure father god we thank you so much for the legacy of women serving you in this denomination that goes back over 100 years we thank you for eva holland and mildred parker and the women like them whose names we don't know who moved into our communities in king's cross and Woolloomooloo who brought the gospel, who brought the love of Jesus to the communities there. We thank you for their work with migrant communities and children. We thank you for the way that they they brought the gospel and the way that they changed lives. Father, we also thank you for the work uh, that has continued to happen by women in this church. We thank you for our denomination's commitment to training women. And we pray that uh, in your kindness, you will continue to help us to raise up women, uh, to continue the work that has already begun, uh, the good work that you've laid out in advance for us to do. 
so that we might continue to spread the gospel and spread the kingdom of God um, as we do the work you've called us to do. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of More Than a Cake Store. In our next episode, we hear from Ruth Myers, who heard the call of the gospel over 60 years ago to move to Somalia armed with just a nursing degree and a love for Jesus. Ruth's story is awe-inspiring. It's not just the stories of delivering babies, but also the story of God's love and power present through even the hardest times. This podcast is a ministry of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales Women's Ministry Committee. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at pcnswomen.org.au. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with your friends so that they too will be encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given them and use them in service of Him.